welcome to the penultimate episode of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute. Right now, we're at Minute 131, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today for this special Saturday edition is my good friend, Jason Sturczyk of Agent Palmer. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's been two seasons since I've seen you, so welcome back. Yeah, but I'm I'm excited to get the penultimate again. That's uh, right. That's right. You, is, you're is, you're apparently a penultimate person. This yeah. is this is, it's a very <laughs> fun place to be, right? Because like everything has really basically happened, and with the exception of uh, you taking on Marvel movies, where there will be an after credits, like I I get to discuss the whole thing. This is kind of cool. Correct. No, again, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be doing Marvel movies. There are other people who do them. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I like to keep things in, in my own niche. You know, up until now, we've only been doing movies from the 80s. So, and we're, we're going to continue with that. Uh, sorry, we did one movie in the 60s. Sorry. So, we did yeah. 1963. Yeah, 63. I mean, then we jumped to two movies in the 80s. And, you know, next season, which people don't know yet, they'll find out tomorrow what my season four is. But that, that, uh, just a little hint that I've already given once before. You know, l- last season we did Plain Changes Automobiles, which was a movie from 1987. This season we did Die Hard 1988. Next season is a movie from 1989. So start guessing. You can send me, you know, send send me by, by Twitter, by Facebook, whatever, you know, your guesses. You know, obviously not anyone who's already been in, invited to be a guest because th- that's just <laughs> cheating. But yeah. anyone who doesn't know, you know, send out your guests. Guess. Guesses. And we'll we'll see if anyone even comes close to figuring out what 1989 movie we were doing. And you know the irony is, is season five, which potentially at this point will be Die Hard two, is 1990. So I, I think I'm getting myself into a a little bit of a rut here because I'm gonna have to look for movies in 1991 to do for season six. But you know we're we're we're, we're a year from that. So yeah, we got getting time. ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone asked me if I'm going to do JFK, and I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I love JFK. It's a great movie, but it's not one that I could do a podcast on because, uh, you know, it would just take – each episode would be like five hours long just talking about all the conspiracy theories that, that go on there. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the movie itself, it's like a four-hour movie. I think the director's cut, and it still doesn't feel like a complete movie. There's so much still missing, but whatever. We're not talking about JFK. We're here actually to talk about Die Hard. Or at least credits of Die Hard. You know, we started the yeah. credits earlier this week. We got credits again today. Today is a cr- all credits episode. You know, which, yes. which Jason and I are gonna just go through. I mean, we're not gonna talk about all the credits. Don't worry. You know, you're, you're not here to listen to us say, okay, and the, the person who did the makeup is this, and the person who did that. No, we're gonna pick. We have a few that we're gonna pick and choose that we're gonna talk about. You know, some of the people, some of the professions, and we'll we'll, we'll get into. I got I got some fun stuff lined up. So hopefully, hopefully Jason does too. You know, but yeah, uh, even if even if you don't, we we have what to talk about. So we'll be able to figure yeah, that out. Absolutely. You know, I'm not concerned. I th- I think you and I are are, are both uh, you know experienced enough uh, podcasters to to know how to talk about you know a minute that has just words on the screen. <laughs> Yeah, and and as a person who has, before uh, I got into podcasting, spent nothing but time putting words on screens, uh, yeah, as a blogger, let's let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. Great. So so minute one thirty one begins with the second assistant to John McTiernan, and ends with a Stevie Wonder song credit. Yes. 
So yesterday we ended the episode with the first assistant to, to John McTiernan, who was his ex-wife. We talked about that a little bit yesterday, Carol Land, who is also the mother of the child actor who plays uh, John Jr. You know, but uh, it, but from what I learned or what I tried to find out is he's not John McTiernan's son. So I'm, I'm very confused about all the things, but who knows? You know, there's certain things, even IMDb can't give you everything. You know, there's, <laughs> there, I guess there's some privacy out there. <laughs> That's fair. I, I was, it's so weird that uh, McTiernan also got two assistants as Bruce Willis getting two assistants on this particular flick. He's carrying the movie. It makes sense. McTiernan having two assistants makes absolutely no sense to me. Well, <laughs> again, we, we don't, you know, one of the things that you never know is what, are, what is the job of these assistants? You know, like are these, are these secretaries, you know, are, you know, are these runners? Like what, what is, I, I, I've never understood really what an assistant to the director, an assistant to the producer, you know, you have, you have two producers that are listed here that we talked about one yesterday and one, one we'll talk about today. You know, Joel Silver had, sorry, there were two yesterday. There was Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver. Both of them have two assistants, which is also strange that, you know, these two assistants, I'm assuming, aren't working solely on this movie. They're working on any other productions that the two of them are, are dealing with. And then you have today another producer, Charles Gordon, who only has one uh, assistant. So, yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's it's all arbitrary. Again, you know, is an assistant a secretary? I don't know. You know. <laughs> I mean, it, as, as a person who recently got his name on IMDb for the first time in an official capacity. Hey, wait a second. I put you on there a while ago. You're saying that's not official. Well, this is now for a movie. I, I am. Uh, I'm, did you I'm use the same link that, 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 that they listed from, for my show or did you create I a new one? No, I, I need to, I still haven't spent the time to uh, link my stuff. Um, but I, I am an executive producer, producer, assistant editor like there were two of us that made this movie so really like we split a lot of um you know uh titles and stuff but i will say like when you start trying to make credits uh which is something we had to do it was um it's weird because even though there were just the two of us we all did a lot of things obviously right. and obviously as a two-man crew it takes a lot longer to build a movie together but it was just uh, you know, having your name up there is pretty cool. Um, and I got to see the, like we, we did a, a, an official screening and eventually the movie will come out to the masses, but, um, it was just, uh, seeing your name up there in lights. I, you know, I, I could be the assistant to the assistant. I think I'd be very excited about it. Well, I mean, I just went into IMDb and it's a little, it's a little strange then because it, it just says Jason Sturchik. You know, and it only shows this podcast, you know, the the two episodes that you were on. And it doesn't have like a one after it or a two that there's, you know, there's more than one yeah. of them. I so. got to figure out how to link that stuff to the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I helped make a movie. Yeah. Well, that not that what we're doing here? We're helping to make a movie 34 years after it came out. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, so why not? <laughs> right so again i i don't know why mcturney needs two uh two assistants maybe one of them is his, his actual lawyer you know because maybe he was maybe he was wiretapping people at the time also i don't know 
you know, his 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 second assistant is named uh, Pamela Alessandrelli. Okay, and this was actually her very first movie credit, and she has a total of eighteen movie credits on IMDb. Um, and you know, she she's been in some other McTiernan films, so she she apparently stayed his assistant for for a little bit at least. Hey, consistency is a good thing to have. Yeah, especially. I mean, obviously, if you you want to have an assistant who can you know who knows what they're doing and knows and what's more importantly knows you. Yes. You know, yes. That, that, well, I think I think we I think we'd all want that. <laughs> okay, that's true. But apparently, they have that here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. Do I do I want an assistant who knows? I don't know. I'm. I don't know. In in my day job, I I prefer to actually, you know, do things on my own as opposed to having an assistant do them for me. Because you know, sometimes it's just easier to do things on your own instead of having to explain to someone else how to do them. I guess that's the uh, yeah. Although in this instance, I expect that you know they're taking care of the acting and the assistant's taking care of everything else, which is probably right exactly yeah. what you want them to do. Correct. So we can focus on podcasting and they can do the other stuff. Right. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. She, she actually two, uh, a year later became an assistant to Joel Silver, you know, when, for, in Lethal Weapon 2. So I don't know. <laughs> I guess, I guess, she, you know, she, she, she worked in, you know, in, in, uh, Fox and they just moved her around between the director and the, uh, you know, the producer to, to be the assistant to help, to help them deal with what they needed to deal with. Uh, yeah. Just, Let's keep you as an assistant to cop action genres, and uh, you can go from Die Hard to Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and you'll she was, never she was also on a fantasy set ever. <laughs> that's right. She was she was in Roadhouse also. Um, then she was in Fatherhood, which was another Patrick Swayze movie. Uh, Species. Um, yeah, she, then she did a bunch of TV shows and stuff like that also. So yeah. <laughs> Right, and then, then we get the the assistants with Bruce Willis as his two two assistants, and then we have a, a trainer for Bruce Willis. You know, which it's really funny that he, you know, that that he gets a trainer here for this. You know, because uh, yeah, if you want him to be, if you want him to be an everyman, then why do you need him to have a trainer? The idea is I mean, okay. I will say, by comparison to the action stars of from like the, the turn of the millennium on. Bruce Willis very much does look like the everyman in this. Like, yeah, he's a little buffer than most, but he's not ripped. But And that's why it works so well, because you look at him and you're like, okay, that could be me. You know, it, it's yeah, not, yeah. it's not, you know, uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone or, or Jean-Claude Van Damme, or, I mean, all of the made diehard type movies, which maybe we'll talk about later this episode, but, you know, they, they, they don't look, they're ripped as you said you know you see you see veins bulging i mean even in cliffhanger where where stallone is supposed to be an everyman okay you see those muscles you see those those veins you know jumping out of his arms i mean but all credit to the trainer because like there you have to do certain exercises to either get ripped or just get fit so to speak and you know i don't know how bruce spent the bulk of this movie other than um you know covered in blood but like 
he he does manage some feats, right? Yeah. So it's true. Yeah, but he's is Bruce Willis doing them or not? You know, a lot of them you can tell that it's a stunt man because the the you know the wig is slightly off. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we we we've discussed some of those. You know, you, yeah, you, I mean, look, this is the other thing too, and I. You you probably talked about this, but my favorite part about this movie is that, like, you know Bruce Willis is going to his trailer and noodling on the guitar because he still harbors his rock star dream at this point. Yes. In his career. Bruno. Like, Bruno. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, like, he's, like, all in on it, but he still hasn't given up on Bruno yet at yes. this point in his movie career. And that's so exciting to me for some reason, and I don't know why. I, I know why, because you're 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 also someone who still aspires to, you know, after after 20, 20 years, you're still aspiring to be a musician. So why not? You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, you'd be going off in your trailer and playing playing your your guitar also while you're while you're reading your, uh, you know, biographies. So, you know, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> and and I don't mean that as as a, as a, as, you know, it, it's not something negative. That's just, no. you know. That, that's why you would think that I, I I completely understand that you can you can definitely relate to Bruce Willis. You know this is this is moonlighting Bruce Willis. This you know, is the only time I could probably relate to Bruce Willis. Every movie after here because you have hair farther apart because <laughs> you have hair. <laughs> I can relate to him more, you know, <laughs> from the hair perspective. Okay. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's no because also uh, most the the movies that he made before this movie pretty much bombed you know he was in blind date and he was in um uh what was that other movie that he was in at the time uh, i can't remember right off, was hudson off hawk before or after no was hudson hawk was after you can't okay. make you can't make hudson hawk <laughs> unless you're a star <laughs> okay <laughs> you know that movie is just completely nuts it's 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 fun but nuts you know that yes but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so, but, but he was, he was basically filming Moonlighting at the same time that they were filming this, you know, so he was, he was doing what Michael G. Fox did during Back to the Future, you know, jumping back and forth, you know, record, uh, you know, filming at night here and filming during the day there. And, you know, and I'm assuming he didn't expect this, this to really work out, you know, um, ah, Sunset, Sunset's the other movie. It was Blind okay. Date and Sunset, you know, which right. neither, yeah, I mean, the only other, um, person i know that shot two things simultaneously that i was a fan of um is uh veronica mars and fanboys overlapped for her um but but people don't think of it that way because veronica mars ended before fanboys finally got released right so they were shot simultaneously for her obviously um but um, and this is Kristen Bell, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like it, because fanboys doesn't come out for a while, it took a while to get released. Um, but fanboys is a personal favorite. So like, that's one of the reasons that it just kind of resonates for me. Right. Okay. That, that's fair. That's definitely fair. But again, it's not the same type of, uh, you know, also the eighties were different than, than the, the, than the aughts. You know, yes, when you do absolutely. things like that, you know, in the eighties, it was more uncommon for a TV star to moonlight as a uh, film star. You know, at that point you, yeah. you, you did either this or that, you know, you weren't, obviously people are probably screaming at their, their, at their radios right now saying, what are you talking about? 
you know, uh, this guy, Don Johnson did this and John Johnson, you know, throwing out all these different names of people who did it. But, you know, even even Denzel did it. You know, he was on St. Elsewhere at the same time that he did, you know, like uh, Glory and, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of his movies in the 80s. But OK. But, yeah, you know, but I guess not everyone had as much success as Bruce Willis <laughs> did. <laughs> Which, especially, I mean, Michael J. Fox, he he did really well in Back to the Future. But Family Ties still, family ties still continued for for a number of seasons. You know, it wasn't that. Yeah. OK, that was it. He's he's out of there. Bruce Willis left. And you have to like what you're TV. doing too. Like, that's the thing. If you don't like the series you're on, that's your ticket out. That's basically. right. That's right. That's right. Right. So, and then we have a whole long list of production assistants, followed by uh, a whole bunch of other. Uh, I, I'm not saying this to 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 you know to to be negative about any of these people, but they, they talk about the, the transportation and the craft services and stuff like yeah, that. I and then the weapons changing. My favorite here is first aid by Marilyn B. Frank. And all I want to know is with the amount of fake blood used <laughs> in this film, <laughs> do you have to like clean the actor completely in order to know like what is real blood? Cause like, all I think is if he got a cut, <laughs> On his feet. <laughs> or or even if it was the stunt guy, right? How would you know what was real and what wasn't? That's right. That's all. That's right. And and that goes for that's kind of a universal statement, I think, for first aid people on all action movies. But it always crosses my mind when I I guess real quick for the audience. My parents trained me to sit through the credits since they do that. Because of one film. Marvel. Just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Animal House. Animal At the very That's end right. of Animal House. That's right. It says, say hi to Babs. That's right. No, because no. It says, when had... when visiting Universal Studios, okay. say okay. hi to Babs. Say hi. <laughs> Come and on. So... Jason, you got to get it right. <laughs> no. I, and so, well, I mean, it is still say hi to Babs. I just yes. didn't. Be, I, fair enough. <laughs> but the point is, so I've always sat through the credits. And, and you know, um. I always kind of pay attention to it. Um, and look, there's a lot you can learn by sitting through the credits. And one of them on a bigger picture, not this, maybe more of a globe trotting picture. My favorite thing is sh where it's shot. Right. Like the special thanks to certain tourism bureaus or film bureaus or whatever. Or government, government to... film agencies, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because this gives you the idea, right? Like this was basically all shot on a sound stage yeah. for the most part. But like you get some of these other movies where you're like, it was set in Africa. And yet it's like uh, Vancouver and New Zealand. And like, you're like, okay, they didn't set foot That's on right. that continent. Exactly. Right? But th these are some of the things you can learn by sitting through the credits. And yes. it's not all just about what that extra thing may be um, that Marvel has kind of spoiled. I, and I, I, I really wait, I want Marvel to not put one at the end, just to start <laughs> breaking the expectation. But, but part of the problem is, is, I mean, I I've seen, I, you know, I, I saw a few weeks ago uh, Black Adam. Okay, I know it's not Marvel; it's DC. But you know, DC has taken on the persona of Marvel from that perspective. You know that they will have end credit, they've mid credit scenes and stuff like that. And you know, more than half the theater just gets up and walks out. They don't even, 
you know, it's not as if this is the first Marvel movie and everyone's about to shock you that, wow, there's there's going to be a, a credit scene. You know, <laughs> it's there. Sit down. That's fair. Don't get up. <laughs> you know, five minutes of your time. You just spent two and a half hours watching an action movie. You can wait five more minutes to see if there's something else. You know, um, now I just did. I looked up Marilyn B. Frank, and this is her only credit in IMDb. Apparently, she's either really good at first aid and they, they drafted her to like work in a hospital or she was really bad at it. And she just never was able to find any more work in that. Uh, well, I tip my cap to you, Mrs. Frank. Yes, 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 yes. Right. And then, you know, we had all the transportation cap, uh, the captain's transportation coordinator. And now this is one of the things that, that jumped out at me. The picture car coordinator. Okay. Yes. Do you have any idea what that means? I'm just going to guess it's the cars in the picture as opposed to the transportation. So as my understanding of transportation is, you know, it's the car to get uh, Mr. Willis from point A to point B or from his hotel or from where he's staying to his trailer or to the set. I think the picture car coordinator in would my guess would be. The, the the cars that are actually in the film. Right. Okay. You and you are right. That, that's You're my right. guess. Okay. That's right. right. And that's right. I will also say that this is 1988 and that that title has probably changed 17 times in the last whatever. Because the, the picture car coordinator for like Fast and the Furious might be just the stunt car coordinator, some other weird. Like, I right, mean, exactly. I just expect that this is a title that has changed as we've kind of done more quote unquote car movies. Right. That, that's very possible. I, I didn't look into that. I looked into what exactly is the, the job of someone who is a picture car coordinator. So th they have also what's known as the vintage picture car co coordinator. Or just the regular picture car coordinator, you know. So, what what is their job? Their job is to train the stars and stunt dri drivers to effectively drive uh, the the various cars and motorcycles that are in movies. They set up an okay. emergency repair shop or a body shop near the movie set in order to uh, fix things that need to be fixed, uh, you know, overnight and stuff like that. They uh, coordinate all the vehicle transportation for the movie needs. And okay. they they work directly with the the director and the the rest of the support team with anything related to to cars on the 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 movie set. Okay. Now part of the things that they also do is, is they're the ones who do the scouting and find the cars. They're vehicle wranglers basically. Okay. You know they go and I they, just like they, the idea that th this is the guy who's in Argyle's ear going yes hit the van. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so they, they buy the cars that they use in the movie. So this is the guy who bought the limo. This is the guy who bought okay. the truck. This is the guy who bought, you know, the the disappearing oh, or, or the, the – what's, what's the right word? The teleporting uh, ambulance, okay? I just like the idea You, that you know what I'm like, talking about uh, when I say the teleporting ambulance, right? Yeah, I, well, I, I, and I like the idea that like he had to go to a, like a dealer and go, I need a van. What kind of van? One that will fit in this other truck. <laughs> like, it's not like I, I just need it to fit in this other vehicle. That's that's what I need. That's right. And I need to be able to put ramps to take it out. I mean, you're, you're aware of the fact that, that when they originally uh, started filming the movie and had the original script, they didn't have the, the ambulance. 
they didn't know how they were going to get out. They all walk out of that. Like uh, there's an, there's a cut. What, what you don't know, I'm going to break some news for you, Rob. What you don't know is there's a cut scene of them taking out like Tinker Toys and building that that van. That's a kit van. It was in the sub floor. It's a of transformer. Tr- it's a transformer. <laughs> it was it was it was Hans's briefcase. You know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they they sometimes will will rent cars or buy them for the movie. You know, it's it's just it's a really cool idea that this is. I mean, these are basically car experts that that can do this yeah. job. You know, it's just, and they have to be clearly and, and, and not only work with the director and probably the the writer of the script, but they also have to have like a plan B either that has been discussed with the director or that they have in their head. Like if you can't get that limo, you still need a limo right. or something for that. You need so, to have a backup plan. I mean, you need to have a plan B. Yep. Always. <laughs> Yeah, no, so I just found that really cool. That's that's one of the things I love about about watching credits. You 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 learn new things about you know who would have thought that there that there is a job like this. I mean, it, it makes sense when you think about it, but but you know if someone were to ask you how did they get the cars in the movies, you wouldn't say oh well there's a guy that this is his job to go and look for you know a nineteen they tell him we we need a nineteen eighty five uh, limo. To, to be used here. So, okay, I'm going to go out and find one. I'm going to rent one. I'm going to buy one. And I need to have a spare one in case something happens to that one. Well, and you know, you like, like if it hits, like, if it hits the ambulance and we don't like the way that, you know, the, the damage is done there, we need another one, you know, or, and another or I got to yeah. spend the weekend fixing that. <laughs> you know? Well, and I think the other, the other piece to that is Phil Tippett, right? dinosaur supervisor right like this is specific to jurassic park and almost every movie in that franchise but his title is literally dinosaur supervisor right if you don't watch the credits you don't realize that that might be the coolest credit anyone could ever have (laughs) yeah it's definitely a very cool credit I would both yeah. totally agree with you on that. I mean, I used to like watching movies like Airplane and The Naked Gun for the credits also, because there they would have like great credits. You know, you just have, you're watching the credits and they're just like things that are there that shouldn't be. You know, I think yeah. The Naked Gun, I think, has has a, a list of cast members by their quotes. You know, like <laughs> like people who just have a one-line quote. So you can go there and they say, Hey, that's uh, Enrico Pagliazzo. You know, when when he when Drebin takes off his uh, mask, you know, as as the umpire, and someone screams, "Hey, that's Enrico Pagliazzo!" And so, like in the credits, it says his quote, and then it says the guy's name. So it was just really funny. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think it was in Hot Shots Part Two that they they like ruined the movie, um, the Crying Game. Okay. Right. So the the quote was this, the secret from the Crying Game. Uh, She's a heat. You know, and that's like in the middle of the credits. You know, so I mean, the the, the, the way, Zuckers I, were great at credits. In a very similar way, this is why I always read book acknowledgments. Because um, yeah, a good chunk of the book acknowledgments, like movie credits, are just thanks to my editor and my publisher. But sometimes they're like thanks to my dog, who, you know, whatever, whatever, like who didn't crap on the carpet while I was writing. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, I mean you. And you don't know, like you can skip over that completely, but it's like three paragraphs. Come on. Yeah. Um, no, but here, like the but here, five minutes. 
but but the problem with these credits is you don't really know what these people you know did you know when, if you're talking about a book credit yeah. and you're saying thank you to my dog because you were so supportive and and you, you let me finish writing the paragraph before i had to go take you for a walk you know then you understand the you know the context here some context yeah, yeah here a lot of times in movies you'll see thanks to and you'll be like okay why is it thanks to i mean obviously the two people you know the person who is giving the thanks and the person who is being thanked have an idea as what they're talking about but we have no idea whatsoever yeah so yeah well i mean we're coming up we're coming up to the 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 probably one of the few names in this credit not an actor that i know all right who is that michael Kamen. there you go michael Kamen. i love michael Kamen. He he has some, I mean, so many great scores. He it's not just that um, Michael Kamen was the guy in charge of the orchestra for Metallica's S and M album, <laughs> and uh, it's just um, he to be able to put up with that group of guys to put that concert together and that album together. I have more respect for him than than any of the other times I see his name pop up for a score. Wow. Right. I mean, he has 96 composing credits and 125 soundtrack credits in on yeah. IMDb. Uh, and he needs to get more credit. Like, I know he's not John Williams, but, like, his name is usually not in the top five, and it should be. Yeah. But I think that's like, partially also because, sure. he, you know, he passed away uh, tw almost 20 years ago, so I think you know, uh, maybe at the time, you know, maybe in the 1990s, his name was in the conversation, but now, yeah, could have been. but now in 2020s, it's not, you know, that, that's, I think, part of the issue. You know, he has some great yeah. scores. I mean, have you, have you ever heard the score for either Band of Brothers or From the Earth to the Moon? Yeah. Okay. He's done, he yeah. did both of those. They're just, those are such amazing scores, you know, that, uh, that he did. I've always been a big fan of uh, Michael Gaiman, and and I mean we'll talk a little bit and we'll, we'll get there. We're not there yet. We're but there there are stuff there is stuff I want to talk about with him that's related to the the a few of the songs that we're going to be talking about uh, shortly. So we won't we won't jump too far into that. But I mean if you you know so he's great. I'm really glad that uh, I mean he did a great job with with the music because the music here is both original and classical you know yeah. he, he found a way to to combine the two and uh yeah and then after that we get all the the editors you know we have the uh the the sound effects editors and the people who do all the adr and the post-production dialogue i mean those are people that i have a lot of respect for especially since i started you know editing my my podcast you know you just have to have a lot of time and patience to do it obviously it helps that you're getting paid to do it that's that's true yeah <laughs> you know i mean you well, you I mean, and i, I do it you other, and i do it in our spare time so it's a little different yeah i mean the other the other piece to this is is the foley guys yeah. because um when as an example when you shoot that much glass it won't sound pretty to into a microphone right uh you have to redo that in a way and um this movie sounds amazing, really. I mean, it really does. Yeah, especially given the fact that it came out 34 years ago. You yeah. know, that, that's just not something you would have, you, you know, there, there are, this movie in some ways sounds better than some recent movies. 
you know, because yeah. they did just yeah, a yeah. great and I job. Think part of that it. is because um, I think it also depends on where you watch it. I'll admit. I mean, there are a lot of theaters, I think, that maybe turn things up a little too loud. Uh, and that's not my age. It's just like it, if the loud part of the movie peaks, um, you, you're probably playing it too loud. Right. Um, and because I, I refuse to believe that professional ADR or professional Foley people are like, yes, I want the sound to peak right now. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, I don't think they have much of a say in that. <laughs> yeah, probably not. No, no. And then when, when we finished with, with all the sound guys, then we had something that just jumped out at me. It says knives provided by, uh, you know, Jack W. Crane, Weatherford, Texas. Okay. Yes. So my first question is, okay, you've seen this movie more recently than I have because you, you just rewatched yes. the whole movie. Okay. I, I Obviously, I pr I've probably seen the movie more times than you, but you've seen it more recently. Um, yes. I was racking my brain when I was doing my research for this, trying to remember where is there a knife in this movie? In Die Hard 2, there are okay. knives. So, is there a knife go. I literally watched the movie, and then I watched the credits because I, you know, you, I, I knew what we would be talking about, and knives came up. I'm whatever the end of the movie to this coming up on screen is, and I went, what knife? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there is no knife here. The closest thing they get to the knife is is the letter opener. Or, or scissors that, that, that Holly is playing with when, when the two of them are talking in Ellis's when, – when she and John are talking in Ellis's office. That's the closest yeah. you can come to a knife, okay? Um, yeah. I, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> where the I hell – either. Where the hell is there a knife in this movie? Why do you have to have a knife, for, you know? I mean the only thing I can think of is maybe they were fancy knives for the spread – at like the very beginning you mean like, during the it's party just, it's not you're saying issue. knives in yeah, the party it's just there somewhere on like a charcuterie board and it's just like well that was provided by somebody so we got to give them credit okay well i i will counter that because i i it's it's a nice try it, it's not it's not the right answer unfortunately okay. because this this same guy uh jack w crane okay has uh 13 different movie credits uh, all of them, he wow. is the, you know, the, I guess, the knife expert. Okay. And I'll just give you a list of them. All right. And you'll tell me whether it's possible that the knives they're talking about here are silverware. <laughs> all right. Okay. Predator, Commando, Action Jackson, Die Hard, Roadhouse, Die Hard 2, The Adventures of Fort Fairlane, Predator 2, Hudson Hawk, um, Ricochet, Last Boy Scout, Demolition Man and Executive Decision. So, which of these movies do they have a dinner party? <laughs> they, I mean, in every one of those movies, I can think of where there's a knife. In this movie, I can't. It's driving. I, it drives it me nuts. To have been like, <laughs> it has to be a cutting room floor thing. Like it has to be. Yeah, but he still gets his credit. <laughs> still gets his credit. But I can't even think of any place unless they were to have, you know, John and Carl fighting with knives. That's the closest I can think of. Any of those. Yeah, it's possible that in any of those close combat ones, somebody pulls out a knife and they were like, it, we just don't like the way it came together. Let's cut it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just really weird. Although for for the record, though, a lot of Bruce Willis movies in that list. Yes. And and uh, uh, 
and John McKiernan movies. And yep. Yep. Um, we even have two Rennie, Rennie Harlan films, Die Hard 2 and Ford Fairlane. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's uh, Demolition Man and Last Boy Scout are are definitely two of my favorites. Oh, I love those. Industry. I love those movies. I, I saw both yeah. of them re- relatively recently. I rewatched them. They're just fun movies to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Die Hard, uh, Demolition Man is up there for me. Like I, that's one of my comfort movies. If it's on T, if it's in syndication, no matter where it is, I will watch it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. It's 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 a great movie to watch. You know, and and if yeah. you know it well enough, you don't need to, you know, watch it from the beginning. You know, but my the problem is every time I watch it, I still want to know what the three C cells do. You know, that that's what it comes down to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a great concept, but you know, you just don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I I if I ever so the movie I made was a documentary, but if I ever get to make a a, a piece of fiction, I want to create something. That's a small detail like that that I don't actually that that I don't have to answer. Right. So everybody else can make it up for me, which is what that has become, which is wonderful. Correct. Like like the the briefcase in in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yep. That type of thing. Yeah, makes sense. And then the next credit is special ceramic vessels, and then it has a list of people that is provided by one in L.A. and one in New York. Um, yep. I, I I also couldn't think of any ceramic vessels that they use in this movie. Uh, Again, maybe maybe at the dinner party, maybe. (laughs) No, what I was thinking was that perhaps some of the C4 stuff or some of the explosives or some of that stuff was just made of ceramic. Um, But I think if in order to answer the ceramic question, you need to look at where all the bullets end up because bullets enter ceramic in a way that is pleasing Mm -hmm. uh, visually to film that say – other things wouldn't. Okay. So I think That's some fair. of it's that. Um, but my, I, I, good, good for the 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 next credit, right? Butterfly wings bridge model. That's right. Now, but that one, that's I, like this is the this is of these three. This is the first one where I can actually tell you where it's from. <laughs> accepting that there are other models that did not get credit, unless those are all <laughs> ceramic. Those are the ceramic ones. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Like Nakatomi Plaza is right there in model form. That's right. Nobody gets a credit for it, by the way. That's right. Well, no, they probably have, you know, someone who does, uh, it's not craft services, craft services is food, but, but the person who does the arts and crafts, you know, there, there's someone there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's someone who got credit <laughs> for it, but, but apparently the butterfly wing bridge, they had to specifically get credit for, it. you know, and, yeah. and I, I love that, you know, the, the Frank Lloyd, uh, Wright, uh, foundation. It means that Nakatomi had so much money that they were able to, to you know, to steal the butterfly wing bridge, you know, for <laughs> for Indonesia. You know, that's their their new plan in new plant in Indonesia. Who knows? And then uh, we we get into the, the the song credits. So the 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 first two songs, we'll we'll go into them into more detail in a second. But well, let me ask you a question before we do that. Okay. Were, were you surprised by a song that didn't make the like Ode to Joy is hummed? Like I, I don't remember seeing it in the credits. I know that might be getting ahead, but I don't it's remember. In see- it's there in some class. Okay, all right. Because all like it's just I don't know. There were there were some there were some other classical things that I feel like didn't make the list 
it seemed like a very truncated music list. Uh, yes. Oh, you know what? You're right. I'm looking at tomorrow's. It is not there. There is no Ode to Joy yeah. here. Yeah, and yet, and yet, it's such a huge musical. Look, I know it's not like the biggest musical piece. Do you think? To the do you movie. think maybe because it it didn't need to, it doesn't need to be credited because of the fact that it's, you know, hummed. No, because of the fact that it that it's um, uh, what's going on? It's no longer under copyright, meaning anyone can use it. Uh, it might be public domain. Yeah, if it's public domain, maybe then you don't need to, uh. You know, maybe you don't, don't need know. to give it credit, but forget about that. Let's let's just was, talk about the fact. Rickman. Let's just talk about the fact that they have two songs here: "Singing in the Rain" and "Winter Wonderland." Okay, again, we'll go back to what we were just talking about with the knives. Okay, you just watched this movie. Yeah. Have do you recall where those two songs are played? I believe "Winter Wonderland" is playing at the party. "Singing in the Rain" must also be based on the order that these are in. Okay. Neither of them, the neither of them is in the movie. So it's it's not there. It's I mean, because they're playing classical orchestrations, um, the the band that Nakatomi gets. By the way, okay, again, Nakatomi might as well just be where John Hammond got spared no expense because it, <laughs> that's not even like a quartet. That's like a twelve-piece string band. Yes. That they're like, ah, we'll put you on the balcony. Yes. Play whatever you want. Yeah, but we never see uh, them. We, we don't see them walking, you know, running around with all the the, the other hostages, you no, know, no, carrying no. their cello. No, they just disappear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they let the music. They let the music guys go. You know, we we, yeah. we don't need we don't need yeah. you as hostages. <laughs> you know, but but again, okay. So what what I started saying before when we were talking about Michael Kamen, and now I'm going to bring it up. Okay, so Michael Kamen, when he was invited to to be in this movie, he originally refused. He said, "I, I can't do Ode to Joy. This, this isn't what it, you know. It, it doesn't work. You can't use classical music in a movie like this." And then he thought about it a little bit. And he decided that he would uh, he would agree to do this on the condition that they would get licenses to use the song Singing in the Rain and Winter Wonderland. Okay. And then what he did was is he mixed the melodies of Ode to Joy, Winter Wonderland, and Singing in the Rain into the score that he made of this movie, which mostly underscores the villains. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, they, they bought the rights to these songs, but don't use them. You know, they, they use bits and pieces of the music from them. Uh, so what you're telling me is Michael Kamen was ahead of the game as far as crediting remixes and sampling. This is more sampling. I wouldn't even call it remixing because yeah. it's not you, – you don't hear that. You, you know, yeah, I guess you have to well, be really attuned. You can pick out Ode to Joy. Right. You know, exactly. but yeah. No, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, but 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 what's exciting about all of this – or not so exciting for my, if you're Michael Kamen is that Christmas in the Hollis is literally the song people think of when they think of this movie as a Christmas movie. Correct. And that is why it's my intro music and my outro music Christmas in Hollis, you know, yeah. A good Jewish boy like me using, you know, <laughs> Christmas or uh, modern day Christmas music. <laughs> That's uh, well, you know, I mean, look, we 
<laughs> of the tribe, <laughs> we know a lot of people in our tribe that wrote a lot of that music, yes, so it's not like <laughs> we can't use it. Yeah, of course. No, no. I, but I don't think Run DMC fit into that. But that, that's, you know, that's no, a separate no. issue. <laughs> right. So let, let's talk a little bit about the, the songs, about, uh, you know, about Singing in the Rain. Yeah. And uh, now apparently – Singing in the Rain is mostly associated with Theo in this movie. You know, uh, the undertones okay. of Singing in the Rain come out quite often in scenes with Theo. I, I, I never really paid as much attention to it as I probably should have. Uh, you know, so I, I couldn't tell you at which point you can hear Singing in the Rain. Because uh, he, he does hum certain things along the way, but not Singing in the Rain. Do you know when when the, the song actually uh, was originally created? No. Okay, so it it first it first uh, was was created in 1929. All right, the lyrics were written by uh, Arthur Freed and the music by Nazio Herb Brown. Interesting. Yeah, 33 years later, they made a movie with the with the name of the song, which ironically yeah. takes place in the 20s. So you know, I think that that's <laughs> also pretty funny that they they are able to to make that uh, connection there. Yeah. You know, and apparently, I, I mean, you would know is to know about Winter Wonderland. That's right. By the way, you would you would know more about this than I would. Um, the the apparently the song has a very unusual form. Okay, because you're you're more of a musical person, so it apparently has a 32 bar chorus rather than being preceded by a verse and containing an internal bridge, which was standard at the time. So it, it opened the 32 bar chorus opens the song, which is followed by a 24 bar verse that has a feeling I, of a bridge before the chorus repeats. Now I just read that I have no idea what it means. The question is, do you being a music person? Recently, I've been picking up my bass a lot more, so I've been kind of trying to get back into playing that particular instrument. And I will tell you, maybe back then <laughs> that was the case, but now even in contemporary songs. Um, people don't do what was once normal. Right. So I'm talking no, about what normally, I'm talking about the fact that when it came out in 1929, you know that was the norm. I, I, and I it, think he did. I they went the again. norm back then would have been intro, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, verse, chorus, verse, or some pattern like that. Mm -hmm. So I could see how it would have been different then. But I'm just saying, like, looking back, even now in contemporary songs, that's not the case anymore. We end up with songs from, like, Dylan <laughs> that are just one continuous verse. Uh, you know what I mean? So, so that's I, that's I, Bob Dylan and, for and me. I think people, <laughs> yeah, so I think people pick up on that kind of stuff as uh, on an artistic level. That stuff has very much changed since then. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. All right, so let's move on to Winter Wonderland. So, do you know when everything? What do you, what do you want to know? Okay, when was it? When was it uh, written? Nineteen thirty-four. Wait, did you know that by heart, or you looked it up? No, I know that by heart because okay. So the thing about it is, right? I looked it up. I'll uh, be, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, with I, 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 Richard Smith was the lyricist. That is correct. Okay, he was inspired to write the song by the town I went to high school in. Oh, wow. I think we've talked about this. It's possible, yeah. So <laughs> Did I we talk about this in, I, did I, we talk my, about this in The Great Escape? Was, I don't remember. I, I, yeah, I know I've heard this from school, you. So. Yeah, my high school was Honesdale High School, and Honesdale is the town that, when it snowed, inspired him to write Winter Wonderland. 
And when you go to high school there, you just learn this. It's kind of like, I mean, the only other thing that the town, the, the town has two other things to claim to fame. One is the first steam uh, home to the first steam engine in North America. And it's the county seat of Wayne County, Pennsylvania. So winter wonderland is probably the bigger wow. <laughs> of those things colloquially. Right. And, and as far as pop culture. So that's why I know that. Um, and uh, that, that, that's it. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> That's where it ends. Hey, but that, 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 that's great. That, that's, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain trying to figure out when when I heard you talking about this, whether we talked I mean, about I it or whether it's it on, on your show, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it might. I mean, I did talk about it at one point on my show um, at some point. So, maybe. well, apparently there are there. It has been covered by over 200 different artists in the uh, 88 years since it was written. It was written. That makes sense. Yeah. Although I'm surprised. I, I'll be honest. That number seems very low to me because it says over. My, it says over. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. It says over. All right. Well, because the, and the thing I keep thinking is Winter Wonderland is like a staple. And it, from the from from the mid 1980s through the 2000s, at the height of the CD era, everybody was like, I'm going to put out a Christmas album. Right. And this was one of those songs that they would put out on their Christmas album. <laughs> so anybody with a Christmas album has a chance to have covered this song. Okay. Now, which it feels like it should be thousands. Which version do you think is uh, played most commonly nowadays? Bing Crosby's. No, the version Just... by the, the Arrhythmics, they, they did a version in 1987 and that is known as the most commonly played version of this uh, song, which is very interesting. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Because um, in November 20, uh, 2007, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, they listed the song as the most played ASCAP member written holiday song uh, for, the, for the previous five years. And, well, and they I cited mean... that the Rhythmics Rhythm 1987 version was the one that, that was mostly played. But again, that's we're talking, you know, fifteen it, years ago. And it and it is as as far as holiday songs go, it's fairly non-denominational, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So I, it makes absolute sense that they would be the most played. Because <laughs> um, you can think, play them at your Christmas party, you can play them at your Hanukkah party, you can play them at your Kwanzaa party, you know, and you can play them at in uh, for Thanksgiving um, when it snows, right? Like, I mean, this is one of those things where because it's weather related and not holiday related, you can get away with playing at any. Well, so was singing in the rain. <laughs> it's weather related. Well, that's, that's true, too. <laughs> Maybe that was what Cam it's came that... in wanted. He wanted to to instill, you know, weather into his into Ode to Joy. I mean, I hope you I know I'm sure you talked about it because, you know, spoiler alert for everybody. I don't listen to what. Rob does says with other guests because I don't want my own opinion of the movie. Um, not that it would change it, but I, I don't want to. <laughs> so I don't know what what's been covered. But my favorite part about the ending of Die Hard is the paper standing in for snow. That's correct. But you know, that's not regular paper. Do you know what that is? No, that's the bear bonds. Oh, well, there were not that many bear bonds. Yeah, there were there were a lot. <laughs> 
I mean, there were a lot, but there weren't that many. Yeah, like, it's not like there were six million of them, and each of them no. is worth a dollar. No. <laughs> also, like, seriously, that's a very small amount of money. Yes. Like, I, I know this is 1988, but, like, that's a very small amount of money for this kind of effort is all. Amazing. No, we'll go, go back to, you know, the, the, the you know, <laughs> if you want to talk about, you know, uh, Austin Powers, that whole thing, you know, the one million dollars. Yeah. So that, but that's what looking at it from our perspective in the 1980s, six hundred million dollars was a lot of money. OK, you know, I think I think months and months ago when 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 I talked about it, I figured out how much six hundred million is worth you know, nowadays. And it's obviously in the billions. Yeah. Okay. So, but but fair but that's fair. But that's fair. It's, it's, I'm assuming also it's supposed to be the bearer bonds. It's not the bearer bonds. It really is paper because you know they don't have real bearer bonds to use. <laughs> They're well, all prop. Go back to the prop guy that we just talked about earlier. Why, you know why why would the bearer bonds be falling down from the sky? I mean I know there was an explosion and everything, but like a lot of that stuff just falling and all of that stuff was in the vault. No, but but when Hans was fell out the window so you know you're 30 uh, stories up there's the there's a lot of base. air pressure you know and a lot of wind and stuff like that 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 everything is flying out <laughs> it's fair it's fair but but you're right it makes it you know this is the way that you can have snow in in california in la yeah i i will say though there are two comments i have to make about the movie one a cell phone doesn't change this movie, and I love that about this film. Because if 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 he picks up and calls nine one one from a cell phone, even if he identifies himself, no one's going to believe him. Just like the radio operator didn't believe in nineteen eighty eight. I think that's in in, in, in twenty twenty two. Someone picks up the phone and says, "There's a terrorist event going on right now. Uh, nobody true. is guess, gonna I, nobody's gonna you know I brush them I'm off." Inserting the cell phone back to them, <laughs> not bringing the whole movie to us. That's fair. Yeah, um, that's something that we discussed quite often. The fact that that okay. there is no way. I mean, everyone is completely nonchalant about the fact that there is a uh, suspected terrorist activity. I mean, come on, they sent Powell to go check out a suspected terrorist activity. But they by himself by himself, and they didn't tell him yep. that there is reason to be cautious because someone has said that it could be a terrorist event. They have just said, you know, they say it could be a prank call. That's it. <laughs> you know. Well, well, no, it's a prank call, but the dispatcher does say, "Please use caution," as if like that's a like ooh exactly. <laughs> And then my my I love that they're I love that they're gonna that, that we talked about this a lot when it happened, but I love that they said we're gonna report you to the FCC. <laughs> yeah. Uh but my and my other favorite part is um and it dates this movie and it's a throwaway line from some people, but I love Arafat I heard Arafat gets his suits there. Yes. Like I know it's a throwaway line, but it might be one of my favorite lines in this film. Right. It's and it's because of the way that Hans says it. He he's it's as if he's looking. He looks up to Arafat. You know that yeah. this is yeah. this is the guy I want to be. I you know I want to be the 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 world's best known terrorist. You know that's what I want to be. Especially in 1988 yeah. when when Arafat was still everyone considered him a terrorist. Later on, you know he he sort of you know got a little bit of legitimacy. But in 1988 he was yeah, still he, a terrorist. He, yeah, he's 
he might be the only terrorist in history that veered into diplomat at a certain point instead of just being terrorist. Correct. Like if, if he had a, if he had a, uh, if he had to have a, state his job description it would be like terrorist 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 diplomat 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 terrorist 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 <laughs> like for a few years there yeah he got legitimized yeah, completely <laughs> and i mean you know he says about the john phillips uh suits that that's just a made-up uh brand you know cut of suits it's not real yeah you know so that works too yes those those are great lines and, and then we get to the third song, which we mentioned briefly, Christmas and Hollis. So what, yeah. what do you know about the song Christmas and Hollis? I, ju I just I just ex expect um, that somebody was like, we. You guys should make a, rap, a, a a holiday rap album. And they were like, of course we should. Yeah. And that, that's that's the end of the story that that's just my expectation, because, again, and like I said, at the height of the CD era. You you put out a holiday album. Everybody did, if you could. Right, but apparently they didn't want to at first. They actually refused to be to 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 to, to do this, you know. And then the I mean, the, the director of publicity for Rush Productions, uh, basically, you know, said to them, "Hey, why don't you do a song like this called Christmas and Hollis?" They they wanted them to be on like a, a holiday album, and they didn't want to do it. You know, then they agreed to do it. And I mean, on this album, they had Whitney Houston, Sting, Springsteen, Madonna, Bob Seger. You know, this this was a, a holiday album called uh, a very special Christmas album. Wow, it's not even like <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, Christmas in Hollywood, Christmas in the hood. Like I mean, something specific. No, just a very special Christmas album. It sounds like it sounds like a you know an after school special that they would have. It, yes. Tune in tomorrow for a very special Christmas album, you know. <laughs> so Hollis is actually an area in Queens, which is the neighborhood that they, they that Run DMC grew up in, and that is why they, uh, you know, that, that's why that talks about. They, there are other songs that are inserted into this, you know, other song ideas that are inserted into this. You have a song called the Backdoor Santa. From 1968, yep. you have Frosty the Snowman, Jingle Bells, Joy to the World, Rudolph. Um, kind of. I, I mean, they mentioned Rudolph, yeah. so I feel like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And the um, video they did of this has them at, at the North Pole and in Hollis. The, they jump back and forth. Nice, you know. And they they have Santa. I don't think I've ever seen the video. I may have to dig that one. And out. they have Santa on a uh, you know a sled that's being pulled by a dog. <laughs> and uh it actually won a, the award for best video of the year in 1987 by rolling stone and it, it beat out michael jackson's uh bad which was directed by scorsese wow yeah and i mean the the it, it's in a few other movies it's in less than zero uh this movie the night before the grinch holiday rush obviously Mostly, mostly, uh, you know, holiday, holiday movies. Yeah. Less than zero, I don't think is. Yeah, but but, but some of the latter ones you mentioned are would have all been inspired. Yes. As filmmakers by Die Hard, yes. so they're like, well, I'm making a holiday film. I gotta put this in there. Correct. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and to, it, it works. So when the uh, when the album came out or the single came out, 
Do, do you know what other song is on that same side? What other Run DMC song do you think was was really popular at in 1988? I mean, 1988 would have been the the Walk This Way or that is correct. So those are yeah. those are on the A side, and the B side is Peter Piper and King of Rock. So by the way, I I I just the only reason I know that is because I am a massive Aerosmith fan. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love the video where they have the two, you know, they have them in different, different stages and they just like break through and start doing it together. I love that. Yeah. It's that it's a very, for its time, it wasn't as heavy handed as we look at back at it now, but the, the, the crossing the bridge is a lot heavier handed now when you look at it because people try and do things more subtly than, than they did back then. But it was, it, it was very well done. Yeah. Correct. Okay, and then the uh, fourth song that that appears right as the the credits end here is the song "Skeletons" by Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? I know nothing about skeletons. Okay, so the song is all about like uh, people discovering lies and deceptions and stuff like that. All right. Okay. And apparently there there are versions that have. You know, or quotes from uh, Oliver North, Reagan. You know, it, it, it was it was a very political song. That what what that year was it? Um, eighty seven. Okay, because because when I think what, what I think of Cult of Personality, right, by Living Color, okay. where it's like got all those. Uh, the only thing we have to fear, like they pull all those quotes. Um from other things um the only thing we have to fear is obviously the one everybody knows but there's other quotes there uh in the recording Mm -hmm. uh and that would have been around that same time right give or take it's true um so i mean the quotes they use here is very popular the quotes they use here is the one from Oliver north i'm not ashamed of anything about professional or personal conduct and the the reagan (laughs) quote they use is the united states has not made concessions to those who hold our people captive in lebanon Okay. So, you know, and uh, you know the the, the music video has uh, Stevie Wonder sitting on the porch of his home in like a picket fence type of uh, neighborhood, and he like greets his his neighbors, and then uh, you know the whole idea is like showing the people's skeletons in their closets and and secrets and stuff like that. You know, like they show a, a woman who's supposed to look like this perfect mother who is secretly an alcoholic. And then you have a businessman who, you know, you would think is is the, you know, pillar of the the community who you can see that he's cross-dressing in, in, in his house. And then you have like the, the all-American next girl next door um, who's, who's uh, you know, being molested by someone. Gotcha. And then they show the... Uh, you know the the athletic all American boy who's like uh, snorting cocaine. <laughs> so some interesting choices. Uh, yeah, for him to use that. Um, do you, do you know when this is played? I mean, with, with Christmas and Hollis, you know that that was played when Argyle was uh, driving John to Nakatomi. Yeah, you know that when and he just like you know then John asked him, you know, can you put on some some Christmas music and he goes, this is Christmas music. This is, is this, this is when is skeletons play. I'm going to ask this as a question. This isn't happening. This doesn't play when Ellis is snorting. Does no, it? that would have been great though. 
<laughs> that would have been perfect. But no. <laughs> no. So it's it's playing when, when Argyle is, is is in the the limo and he's talking on the phone. Okay. Oh yeah, baby, I'll make it to Vegas. That's right. My, no, uh, I'm my, my, my boss, my boss thinks I'm on my way to Vegas. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what we have with that. So, what is there anything else you want to talk about related to the movie? Because we we now finished yeah, the, the, the credits of this minute, you know, and and we got no script today. This movie, <laughs> the thing about this movie for me is it's one of those films that you watch on an almost annual basis. That because we rarely sit down and watch this film, like because this has become like a Christmas movie or a holiday movie, it you watch it with people. And people have seen it enough that you talk through it. So when I sat down to watch this, there's always scenes that, like, you forget about. And there aren't any that really jump at me, excepting that, like, this has been in syndication for so long Mm -hmm. that obviously some of the things are cut out. Um, But, like... Do do you remember when you first saw this movie? No, 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 no. And I think that's one of those weird things, right? Like, I just, this is going to sound weird, but, like, I think I've always known Die Hard. Um, I wouldn't have seen it when it came out because I was five. Um, but, like. I should I should I, hope so, that your parents didn't take you to see it when you were five. And, and so I also didn't see it in the theater. But, like, I've seen it. I don't know if it's like it was in syndication. I watched bits and pieces of it here and there. And then all of a sudden I sat down and watched it one day. I don't know. Um, but it's always kind of been a thing. In fact, when I was building up my original DVD collection that most people don't have anymore, I bought the box set of uh, Die Hard 1, 2, and 3. Okay. Um, that's fair. And so that's what I watched this. I still have that DVD, and that's what I watched the other night, which is exciting. Um, and so, you know, I got to watch it with like, uh, ads for like other DVDs, which is always kind of fun too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't remember when I first did you, saw did you it. Did you convince Steph to watch it with you or did you watch it by yourself? Yes. No, no, no. She watched it with me. Well, I'm, I am notoriously not a holiday person. Uh, so when I was like, Hey, do you want to watch a, a Christmas movie? She's like, Oh, or, she knows. Well, I didn't say Christmas. I said, you want to watch a holiday movie. And so she knows it's probably one of three flip films. And she's like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, because the three holiday films, well, maybe four holiday films that I will watch are die hard. Iron Man three Hebrew hammer and diner. Those okay, that's the four. four. There you go. Holiday, four. Okay. Yeah, those are the four holiday movies I will watch. Other than that, you can put all those other ones on in the background. That's fine. But like, those are the four I will watch. Plain Train Automobiles isn't on that. Uh, I I think of that more as far as like Thanksgiving and, I, and that's Thanksgiving holiday. is. Oh, you're talking specifically. Is, you're I, talking about winter holiday. So you yeah, don't have any winter holiday. Where's your Kwanzaa movie? Um. <laughs> I would say that there's enough overlap in Hebrew Hammer to cover some Kwanzaa, okay. if I'm being honest. But I, I would say, like, Son-in-Law would be my favorite Thanksgiving movie. Okay. That would be an interesting I'm choice. Just, just going to throw that out there, right? Like, so I 
yeah, she was very excited to watch it. Um, and it's it's become a classic, and I think that rightfully so. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Well, that's a great segue for us to get into. You know, because your 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 episode is a special Saturday episode, so we didn't. Yeah. You know, you don't get all the the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday stuff. So I decided that I'm going to let you do all of them today, if you want. You know. Yep. So we'll we'll start with that. I, I, I'm we'll ready. Go, all right. So the segment that we do on Mondays is Die Hard on a Monday. Okay. Everyone knows that Die Hard is the is one of the few films that has actually been able to create its own genre. There was no yes. diehard type genre beforehand. And ever since, you know, people would, you know, try to get movies made by saying, oh, this is diehard on a bus. And this is diehard on an airplane. And this is diehard in on in Antarctica. It doesn't really matter. You know, anything, yeah. you know, you just have to say that. So it became its own genre. So I've been asking over this entire season, every one of my guests, to list their, their five favorite movies that fit in, that have been built from this genre and tomorrow okay. I will give everyone the tally of, you know, of how many there were, which there are, I think maybe over 50 different movies were, were chosen throughout the course of every one of my guests. And, you know, now we have another one to add. So Jason, why don't you give us your top five diehard doppelganger films, start from number five and work your way up. All right. So number five, we've got Die Hard with cyber criminals and that's just, frankly live free or die hard because i absolutely adore that film and i feel like if you don't include an actual die hard sequel in your die hard genre films then what's the point okay that's fair so um, i think that means you're, you'll be back in a few seasons to talk about that movie when when i when i do it you know absolutely okay um i'm glad to see that four, i'm glad to see that the fifth one isn't on there you know that one yeah no, <laughs> number four Die Hard in the Far East, and that's the legend of Drunken Master. Um, and then um, <laughs> number three is Die Hard in Beverly Hills, because Beverly Hills Cop is so good, so good. Uh, number two, Die even Hard. Though, even though, even though that does come, that came out before Die Hard. I'm, I, 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 it, I, I'm. It's I'm no I'm, I, it, fine. That's fine. Beverly no, Hills Cop. it's fair. It's fair. Uh, it's okay. Beverly Hills Cop but, but, came um, out in '84. Yeah. But but it's I'm I'm giving it to you because I think you're right because these are also the only two movies that talk about bearer bonds. Well, and I think the other part is, and this is my favorite part about Beverly Hills Cop and Die Hard is it's a cop out of jurisdiction who is still not following the rules. Correct. Like and that's what my captain keeps the, telling me. And they also didn't follow the rules when they were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like it, they're the same. It's so, yeah. Um, so anyway, number two, Die Hard at Alcatraz with The Rock. And number one, my favorite Die Hard on a plane, which is Con Air. Ooh, um, my good, good friends, friends of the show, uh, Jay and Mark will be very happy to hear that. You do know that they, they're doing a Con Air show. They're doing Con Air uh, uh, pod. It's called Con Air Pod. And, you know, they, they, they do it chapter by chapter. They don't do it minute by minute, okay. but, yeah. but it's great. I was actually just a, uh, a guest a few weeks ago. It's a lot of fun with them. You'll, you, you should listen to at least one episode. You'll love it because they, they go all yeah. over the place with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's just, um, you know, I, in fact, I, you know, when we're recording this, it's months on from this happening, but I was super excited when Aaron Rodgers showed up to training camp dressed as, 
uh, Nick Cage from Con Air with the long hair <laughs> and the white beater. Cause I was like, this is brilliant. And it got trending and people were talking about, and then people just stopped talking about Aaron Rodgers and just started talking about Con Air. And it was wonderful for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? So, so there I am. The live free or die hard legend of the drunken master, Beverly Hills cop, the rock and Con. Those are great choices. And everyone come back tomorrow to hear where, if any of those five make it into the top five, of all of, of of all of my guests of what they think about uh about diehard doppelganger films. So thank you very much for that, Jason. So we'll move in yes. we'll move into Tuesdays. Tuesday is yes. off the beaten track holiday edition where my guest gives a little story, anecdote, adventure, misadventure, something that happened to them in their lives that is somewhat related to the, some holiday. Doesn't matter what it could be any holiday. Yeah, I for me it it is about the Hebrew hammer, which is a, like a comedy central financed film, by the way. Um, I, I don't believe it was like a major motion picture. Um, and I stumbled upon it on comedy central, um, at one point and then literally went out and bought the DVD the next day. Cause I was like, I finally have a movie for me. And people are like, Oh, eight crazy nights. It's like, yeah, but it's just not the same. And the level of humor um, in the Hebrew hammer, um, I guess the difference would be, and I, I always try and explain this to people. Eight crazy nights is, is, is Adam Sandler and it's not a bad film, but it's made for everyone. And the Hebrew hammer is made for Jews. Okay. And I don't say that lightly, like the humor that's in it. If you don't under, like I, New Yorkers, because I know a lot of New Yorkers that aren't Jewish that also understand Jewish humor. But like, you have to know that there is, um, that might be the one writer's room I would love to be a part of. <laughs> uh, retroactively is like coming up with these things. Um, but just being able to have that film, and then uh, conversely, with the Hebrew Hammer, as uh, many people who are Jewish. And who aren't Jewish may know we don't use the calendar, let's say, that everybody else uses. So the it, it ends up being um, our holidays move around the the a little the bit. Calendar. They move around a little bit, you know. And so I still remember when I was trying to make this uh, watch the Hebrew Hammer on the first night of Hanukkah a thing. I remember watching it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Because Hanukkah came early. <laughs> and it was just this weird confluence. No, you see, you're wrong had... there. You're wrong there. Hanukkah doesn't come early. It always comes on the 25th of Kislev, you know, but. <laughs> Sometimes we get an extra month. There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was, just, it was just this weird happenstance of watching the Hebrew Hammer after Thanksgiving dinner. And um, yeah, but that's my one, one of my little off the beaten path stories uh and you know growing up we we didn't have uh like a, a movie like that and so i found this at the right part of my life that i could pick it up and run with it and i'm i'm excited that i have it yeah i mean i i gotta say um as a jew knowing how many jews are in hollywood it's really really strange that it took so long for there to be a movie about Hanukkah. You know, like nobody, nobody did anything about it. 
And it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. It was, it was as if everyone just completely ignored the fact. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of the, the greatest Christmas songs are written by Jews, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, so I don't know, maybe it, it, it deniers, deniers. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But that's fine. Okay, great. Now we're moving on to Wednesday. Wednesday segment is Hans Hump Day, where we get our top five Alan Rickman performances. Not Alan Rickman films, because some of the films are really bad, but he has a great performance in them. Uh, so, once again, your top five. Start with number five and work your way up. So, I have um, not seen more than five minutes of any – of basically the first Harry Potter film. I will at some point watch them. But it's the reason that that's nowhere near my list is because I've never watched them so I didn't feel like I know a lot of people put him up there, um, but I've never seen them. So that this is a uh, not because I didn't like him in Harry Potter. It's because I've not seen him in Harry Potter. Okay, but so number but you've, five, but you you've read the books though. So you're 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 a, no, really no. even no. I I, I know I missed I was, I I was too I was too old when the Potter books became a thing, and I was reading other things at that point. For all I just kind of missed it. Um, and I know there are people my age that went back and were you know, read it and all that stuff. I, I at some point I do plan on watching all of the films to at least catch myself up. But yeah, just never, never. I, I missed it completely. Um, so, but I, so about I just, eight years ago, I had never read the books. I was very much against them. I I didn't like the books. I I saw all the movies and I enjoyed them, but I was wasn't a fan of the books. And about eight years ago, I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read all the books. I couldn't put them down. I was so okay. amazed at how rich the, the stories were. And then, I and then the, I rewatched the movies afterwards and I was then disappointed in the movies, you know, like, like, okay. Well, like then, what happens a lot. Fair enough. I will watch the movies <laughs> first and then maybe I will pick, I mean, the books are in my house. Stephanie read all of them, but I just, I, I've got so much else to read. Um, yeah. Yeah. I understand. But anyway, I understand. So for Rickman, um, Number five, Love Actually. Um, I actually think it's um, because of that movie. I think that movie gets crapped on because it became a meme of itself. But, like, he's really good in that. Yeah. Um, number four, Galaxy Quest. Um, n number three, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Number two, Die Hard. Um and number one, Dogma, which might be not only my favorite Rickman film, but might be my favorite casting of Rickman ever. Wow. Because he plays Metatron, which is just like, he plays a disenfranchised angel, basically. Yeah. And he does it. I never met Alan Rickman. But all I know is that when he was in Dogma, it felt like he wasn't acting. And to me, that performance was absolutely brilliant. Wow. Um, yeah. So for me, that's my favorite Rickman. Okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for that list. Let's move along yeah. real quickly to Thursday. Back to off another off the beaten track story. So you have another holiday story to to to, to enthrall us with, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, the moment I um, I've never been big on holidays 
period. Um, and it's not, I, I know people are going to be like, well, Jason, you're Jewish. I understand why you don't like Christmas. Like I've also never really been that big a fan of new years or Thanksgiving or any of the others. And you know, to, for that matter, I think the Jewish holidays aren't as fun as I would like them to be. Because <laughs> um, you, you know the quote about Jewish holidays. It's, uh, you know, they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. Let's eat. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I bought my house, um, I started a regular Friendsgiving um, that has endured throughout the years. And it's probably the only holiday I'm actually excited for every year. Um, and it's basically the Saturday after Thanksgiving, I invite any friends that are around and my parents and anybody else who's kind of in my circle over. And we basically just do Thanksgiving over again, but with invited guests, not just people you happen to be related to. And, um, it's, it's always been probably it it's a holiday I look forward to. And I know a lot, uh, you know, people now do it's, it's people do it on a more regular basis. Um, but that's my thing. now that's the one holiday I really enjoy considering I don't really celebrate anything. Um, in fact, just as a little self-promotion on episode 52 of my podcast, which was my two-year anniversary, because um, you know a bi-weekly show. Um, I had a friend of mine on to talk about celebrations and anniversaries on the sheer fact that he celebrates celebrations and anniversaries, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that episode. But yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Friendsgiving—that's that's the one I like. Yeah. Okay, that works. That's great. All right, so now we've reached Friday. So Friday's segment is Weekend Surprise. Now, we, we've touched a little bit on this uh, throughout the course of, of today's conversation, and I know what your answer is going to be, but I still you know, still want you to have the opportunity to, 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 to let yourself uh, be heard. Okay, so one of the okay. biggest controversies about Die Hard over the last 34 years is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? So Jason, what do you think? Is it a Christmas movie or not? And make sure that you you know, uh, give us uh, good reasonings for for why you think it is or isn't. (laughs) Yes, it absolutely is a holiday movie, a Christmas movie, Um, mainly because this movie cannot happen at any other time of the year. This is a holiday party. Like, let's not forget, they are taking hostages at a holiday party that they know there will be because it's a holiday party and everybody else is out of the building because they're staying late for a holiday party. Like that's a very important plot point. This isn't just, um, Oh, it happens to be Christmas. No, it is. And that's, uh, I, I think that the only reason people say it's not a holiday movie is because, it's an action movie, but that doesn't, these are not binary states. It can be an action movie and a holiday movie. Um, uh, case closed. Okay. I don't, I don't know. No, that's fine. Yeah. I, I, 
completely understand it. And people will once again have to come back tomorrow to hear my opinion as to whether it's a Christmas movie or not. You know. I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I did bury the lead, right? Like, I talked about holiday movies as far as Diner, which also takes place during Christmas, yeah. and Iron Man 3, which takes place during Christmas. Uh, like, the, <laughs> so, to me... But those are movies that can you know, take place in other times also. They do. They, they, they over... I mean, Diner takes place over, like, a couple weeks, yeah. I think. But it it's around the holidays, so that's an important piece of it. Yeah. So... All right, great. So, you have anything else you want to talk about with with Die Hard, or do, or do you think you've you've uh, talked enough about it? No, I I mean I could probably talk about it for a long time. Yeah. I, it's, well, so can it's, I. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and I've been doing no, that. I, I I will just say tomorrow I'll have to give everyone the tally of how many minutes I've talked about Die Hard. As as far as Die Hard goes, um, I think. If you were to ask me in 1988, right, or even in the early 90s, like what franchise, what action franchise would I want to continue? I don't know if I would have said Die Hard. Well, you were five. Well, in the early <laughs> 90s, even. Like, I'm just saying, like, put me back there. I, Little five-year-old I'm, Jason, I, what did you think about Die Hard? Oh, it should become a franchise. I, but Yippee I am excited <laughs> I, I think it's. I, I'm. I'm super excited that it came through. Um, because I was. Um, you know, honestly, Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard, yeah, it made my list. But it was also one of the only ones I really saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a part of it. I think just like saying that your favorite Bond is also kind of related to the first one you see in theaters. Um, yeah, I. I think as a franchise, it, it's good. And the book that it's based on has been on my reading list for a while. And eventually I will actually pick it up. Um, nothing nothing like lasts forever is a, great, is a great book. It's it's good. Again, yeah, I mean, they I made like the, a better movie out of it. But, oh, okay. but no, right. but the, the, in the book, we get a lot of the emotions that you don't get in the movie. Okay. You know, we get, we all, get right. all Bruce Willis's facial expressions and stuff like that. You know, which which we see the pain that he's going through, but in the book there is much more that the character is going through because the character is also older, and he's there to okay. stay to, to to be with his daughter, not with his wife, and his daughter's name is Stephanie. So who knows? Okay. Maybe that's maybe that's a reason for you to read it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was fun, man. Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So, Jason, why don't you tell people how they can find Agent Palmer? Yeah, uh, agentpalmer.com. Um, and from there, you can contact me on, like, you know, Twitter, if it still happens to exist as we are recording this ahead of time. Who knows? But I'm at Agent Palmer on almost anything you can think of. And um, I do also talk a lot on thepalmerfiles.com, which is a podcast uh, where I just have interesting conversations with interesting people. And uh, it's basically the entire premise of my entire podcasting career. And that's a great premise. I've, I've enjoyed I, – I, one of the things I love about your podcast is the diversity. You just have people from so many different fields that are talking about so many different things, but the, the core of all of their conversations are connected. And that, that just always amazes me each time. You know, like I hear who your guest is on the next episode, and I'm like, okay, how are they going to connect – this to the main theme of your of your podcast and it, it always goes there 
and that's why it's great. Yeah, I, I, I've never been accused of being brief. <laughs> well, <laughs> for people that have been listening to us for 90 minutes, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I have the same syndrome as you do, but, but that's fine. Yeah. All right. And finding me is very simple. For uh, Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Or you can go directly to my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So once again, thank you very much, Jason. This has been a lot of fun. I, lo- I love talking to you. You know, you're, you're, you're a fun person to talk to and a fun guest. You know, I, I don't know well, which one you're having. funner with, but, you know, either way, doesn't matter. <laughs> I will be back again tomorrow for the final episode of this season where we will reveal all the great information about, you know, what everyone's favorite Die Hard Doppelganger movies were and what, what everyone's favorite Alan Rickman movies were. <laughs> and also, obviously, how many of my guests think that this is a Christmas movie and how many do not. So you have to come back tomorrow to listen to all those different things on a very special in a very special episode of Movie Rob Minute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, which will come out on a Sunday, which usually also doesn't happen. But uh, until then, yippee ki yay. Yippee ki yay.